friends, welcome to Bet On You Radio, where every week we have an incredible guest sharing inspiring stories to give you the tools and strategies you need to bet on yourself and win. I am Ben Whiting here with one of my favorite people on the planet, Angie Morgan Witkowski. Angie, I, I know you're excited about today's guest. We're- I am so excited about today's guest. I am just in love with Jeanette Walls. Like, I read a lot. I know you read a lot. You're probably listening to us. You know, do your fair share of reading too. But this author, Jeanette Walls, she wrote this book, Glass Castle, that was just an eye-opener for me. And this is really going to be the tone of our conversation today, just the courage to own your story, courage to tell your story. In fact, that's one of the best questions I have when I meet people. Tell me your story. Like, Ben, oh tell me gosh. your story. What is my story? It's like, ah, so much. Like, do we talk about you know our parents and my adoption? Do we talk about street performing and my career and acting and all the things I tried that didn't work out? It can go anywhere. And what's amazing to me is Jeanette has kind of distilled her story down and to something that is so accessible. It became the New York Times bestseller, five million copies sold. It's being it's a movie with Brie Larson, you know, Oprah and Woody Harrelson. And Woody Harrelson, Oprah. And so I cannot wait to talk to her about just that distillation process. You know, what are the important aspects of a story? And not to mention, you know, she has a story that is not common. I mean, she had rocks thrown at her when she was a child and made her way all the way up to living on Park Avenue in New York in the same neighborhood as Jerry Seinfeld. What was that journey like? And what from her past does she still carry with her? And I'm just, oh, it's going to be a good one today. I can tell. It is. I always think, too, about just part of your story is really about being authentic and true. And who, who are you true to? It's mostly important to be true to yourself. And when I deliver leadership workshops and programs that can help if people develop their leadership skills, I always think about that role of authenticity and self-awareness and putting it in some sort of template or model or framework to help just thinking about who you are you know for example you know there's parts of who you are that was were given to you by your parents Mm -hmm. there are parts of you that are things that you chose like for me i'm a michigan wolverine i went to the marine corps i'm a mom like you know choices and there's who you are at the core and i love in her book that that's what she really talks about that you know despite the given and the chosen who am i that's a really great question to explore Oh, fantastic. And I think authenticity, it's always, you know, it's the ability to talk about things we sincerely care about, despite uh, emotional risks or vulnerability. And she has just made such a vulnerable piece of art here that is just so, um, I don't know, you just connect with it so well. So yeah, let's just dig into this right now and uh, bring in New York Times bestselling author Jeanette Walls. Could not be more excited. Ben, you can see it on my face, right? Yes, I can. <laughs> the, the stretch of my smile. I, ben and I are here with Jeanette Walls, who's the author of Hang the Moon, as well as The Glass Castle and Half Broke Horses. But Jeanette, I just want to share with you as we kick off. I read Glass Castle as soon as it was published, and it changed my life because oh, I, I grew up in a rural community, just, you know, kind of a background that you don't want to put necessarily on a resume. And you gave me the courage to own that. So thank you so much just for your courage to write your story. Thank you, Angie. Nothing makes me happier than hearing a story like that. You write your story and you have no idea. I really expected it to be met with contempt and ridicule. And the openness and compassion that people um, have received the story with just blows me away. But more importantly, like you, people 
on some level relate to it. And that's when it really becomes meaningful. It's, it, it's become sort of not about me anymore. It's about people who, who look at themselves differently. Because sometimes I think you need to see somebody else's story to understand your own better. Yeah, I'm really curious, Jeanette, where did that expectation of contempt and ridicule come from, do you oh, think? Oh, one word, shame. <laughs> <laughs> and, and partly experience. I mean, you know, I grew up the poorest kid in a poor town. I mean, kids, other kids literally threw rocks at me. And, you know, it's kind of a learned response. And then I moved to New York City, and I wore all these fancy designer clothes, and all of a sudden, and I'm living on Park Avenue, and people treated me differently. And I'm like, wow, why, why would I give this up? You know, this is this is great. People, In fact, one, one woman, she, she called me, you know, she was upset with something I did, and she called me a rich B-I-T-C-H. And I was like, Yes, I passed, you know. (laughs) (laughs) That was a compliment. Before you go further, there was a lot that happened between you getting rocks thrown at, Jeanette, and you living on Park Avenue. I would love to talk about that 17-year-old girl. I believe you were 17th when you decided just to change your life. Yes, Yes. no, I, um, well, I am, I am a big fan of, among other things, education, but especially education. And I just, I went to a very good school. My father, um, always believed in reading and um, um, knowing about the world and kind of um, owning information. Um, but it, I mean, honestly, I, you know, I, I, I got into this good school, Barnard, and people just assumed because I was living on Park Avenue and went to a nice school that I had this la-di-da background. And I didn't lie about my past, but I didn't correct people on it. And then one day, this one of the very few friends I had, um, he said, you know, there's something about your story that doesn't add up. He said, every time I ask you about your past, you change the topic. Why is that? And I changed the topic. And, and he said, if, if you're not going to be candid with me, I'm not sure I want to be friends with you anymore. It, it hurts my feelings. You don't trust me. And so I told him the truth. And he said, that would make a great book. And I ended up marrying him. Oh. <laughs> we <laughs> love those types of stories. Fantastic story. And he, He's a, he's a writer as well. He's a journalist, and he pulled a story out of me. He pulled it out of me, you know, and I just, oh, my gosh. I just, you know, I don't know if I can live with this being out there. I've got this fabulous job at that point. You know, I was I was living, um, I was, I started out writing, I said gossip, but it was, you know, it was really about movies and shakers. But later in my career, I was, I was the bonehead you see on television sticking my microphone into, microphone into celebrities' faces, asking them who designed their outfits. And I wasn't loving my job, um, but I thought I'd get fired from it once people knew the truth about me. And um, there was one particularly rich woman who I just assumed once once she knows the truth about me, she's just going to spit on me. And then the book came out, and I was at a party, and I saw her across room, and she came running at me. So I clench up my fist, ready to take her on, because she might be rich, but I'm tough. And she throws her arms around me and hugs me, and she said, we read your book at a book club. That I've been in for more than than twelve years, and finally it got real. And we talked about families and mothers and fathers. And that's the funny thing. I think that so many of us carry around these stories, and we see ourselves we're our own worst, our own toughest judge, our own worst enemies, and we're running from our past. And I completely believe that so often these things that we're running from that we dislike about ourselves, if you can confront it and take it on. It's the best thing you have going for you. Um, and that was certainly the experience that I had. 
that this thing that I've been running from for so long, it was my ace up the sleeve. It was, you know, it was the best thing I had going for me. And so I thought I'd go back to my day job interviewing celebrities. And a, a rather well-known woman, who I will not name, asked me to turn off the mic. And she said, I want to thank you for telling your story because my father's also an alcoholic. And it really helped me understand my story. And I thought, dang it, I'm never going to write anything mean about that person again. So I didn't get uh, fired, but I got defanged, and I didn't want to do that anymore. I didn't. I believe the truth will set you free, but the truth cannot be summed up in snarky little sound bites like I was trying to do. Oh, so just, I, I went into writing. Oh, this is fantastic, Jeanette. And I, I love it, kind of the revelation that, you know, vulnerability is the key to deepening relationships and bringing meaning. Ah, uh, well said. But, but I have a question well for you. Said. What I want your insight on uh-huh. is the stigma uh-huh. around vulnerability, because it, inevitably people see it as courage in other people, but if it's weakness if it's coming from me. What insight do you have, or what would you say Isn't to those funny? people? Yeah. Isn't that funny how, how people think that about themselves, that they think that other people are going to judge them for this? And, and it's, it's the opposite. Um, a, a, a very wise man once said to me, secrets are a little bit like vampires. They suck the life out of you, but they can exist only in the darkness. And then once they're exposed to the light, there's a moment of horror. But then, poof, they lose their power over you. And I've just found that to be so true. And people come up to me and they tell me, because of my story, people will tell me about their story. And sometimes they're crying and they'll say, I'm so ashamed. I've never told anybody this before. And I think, why would you be ashamed? That's a beautiful story about triumph and survival. And I remember, oh, yeah, I was ashamed, too. And that's why I became such a champion of, of telling your story and why I love your program so much is I think that it's, it's a matter of taking these things that, that we dislike about ourselves and understanding that, you know, these are our lessons, okay? These are the lessons we learned in life. This is, this is what makes us stronger, not what makes us weaker or less or whatever. And it, a part of it, I think, is, is not like being angry or upset about it. I mean, you can't – anger is, is natural. It's, it's, it's good in certain situations. It helps you fight. But at a certain point, it becomes self-destructive. And what are you going to do with that? How are you going to get from point A to point B? I, like I said, I'm a, a big fan of education. But it's it, those of us – who have been through difficulty, I think can be at a slight advantage over those who had it a little bit easier. Oh, do I have time, couldn't, yeah, do I have time for a real quick story or should I hold jump, off on this Let's one? jump into your story, then we'll cut to break, but I want to hear the really good story. I can hardly wait. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, so I, um, I was working at this snooty magazine and, um, this well-to-do woman, she wanted to go on vacation together. And I, I thought, well, that'd be interesting going on vacation with a really rich person like that. What did you have in mind? And she said she wanted to go to something called Outward Bound. Now, I'd never heard of this year Outward Bound thing before. And she explains to me that you pay a rather substantial amount of money and you go out into the wilderness and you forage for food. And I'm thinking, honey, the first 17 years of my life were in Outward Bound, you know? <laughs> you were like the expert guy, Jeanette. <laughs> Why are we so paying for this? Friend, <laughs> yeah, exactly. I forced for food, and you know, so I called up my brother. I said, "Brian, you're not going to believe this. Rich people got to pay for their hardships." And we both thought it was hilarious and, <laughs> until I got to know this woman better. And she's so strong, but she doesn't know that. So we, we people who face more than our share of obstacles, we um, we're tough. We're fighters and we're scrappers, and that's our blessing. 
And our curse is that we're tough and we're fighter and we're scrappers. And we have to learn to stop fighting all the time. That there is so much love and goodness out there. And it does make you a little bit vulnerable when you first take off the armor and first stop fighting. But I was completely unprepared for the compassion for people forgiving me more than I forgave myself for everything I did. Not only you are an amazing writer, but you are an amazing wisdom provider. And I'd love to, <laughs> to hear from you. You know, you were talking about anger. Um, I once heard this quote that anger is a powerful catalyst for change and is a horrible life companion. So, oh, that's really that great. Good. Yeah, <laughs> I wish I could say I, I wrote that, but I can't remember where, yeah, but that's good. But yeah. I was curious, as you go through the process, so your future husband tells you, you must tell your story, you must write mm -hmm. this memoir. What is your process for telling your story? Are you learning about you when you're writing? Yes. Tell yes. me about that. It's just new. Well, you know, um, well, first of all, I don't think I knew what the story was. I, you know, I, I, I knew there were, there were stories that I wanted to tell. And most of them were stories of, of hope. And they were the things that I kind of focused on to get me through the difficulty. Um, but there were a couple of other stories I knew I, I wanted to tell. I just, I thought people aren't going to understand this. And I knew that I wanted to open up with seeing my mom. When, uh, so here I'm living on Park Avenue. I'm going to fabulous celebrity parties, and I see my mom on the street. I knew I wanted to open with that. I didn't know where to open with my life. And my husband says, start with when you caught on fire. I said, man, that was not such a big deal. I mean, my dress caught on fire, and I go to the hospital and get skin grafts and stuff like that. But I'm fine. It's not like there was any, you know, serious damage. I can't wear bikinis, but so what? I probably would have never wore bikinis. He said, he said trust me. It's a big deal. Write it down. And so I, I wrote that down. I wrote down a couple of other uh, scenes that I remember very, very vividly. And I will tell you, the first time I read it back, I was shocked. I was like, "Ooh, <laughs> Joss was onto something." That was kind of that was kind of wicked, wasn't it? So I, I think that sometimes we and, and and he's such a good writer. I'm going to be quoting him a lot because he's very clear headed and a good editor. But he said sometimes the process of writing is the process of thinking. And I would write something, and it just wasn't ringing true. And there was another point at which um, he said to me, he said, if your parents weren't buying food for you, how did you survive? I said, oh, I'm resourceful, you know. He said, no, Janet, I don't know. You have to spell it out. I'm like, there's no way I am writing that down that I was digging around in the garbage for food. And um, I had to write that scene of rooting around in the, school, in the school garbage for food. I had to write it about 11 times. I just, I was sweating and crying and slinging snot. I was a mess. I was, oh. and, and, um, it just, it doesn't bother me now. It just, it's something that happened to me. But I, I, I thought the New York city years would be fascinating. The contrast between these two lifestyles and my parents are homeless or squatters or rioters or whatever. And I'm on park Avenue. And that wasn't that interesting. And I, I thought it was, and I read it back and it's just like, it's not that compelling. And so you have to figure out, well, what is your story? And my story was coming to terms with my family, especially my father, and the, the amazing gifts that he had interspersed with the terrible alcoholism. And, you know, I, I think my father was a, a brilliant and wonderful man at his best. At his worst, he was a monster. And it, one of the many, many wonderful things about having the book come out is that people see my story so clearly. And I've... I was at a, a book reading one time, and somebody in the audience said, I believe your father was bipolar. And I dismissed it. I was like, eh, Dad was just a drunk. And then other people started saying it. So I started reading up on bipolar. And indeed, I, I'm, I'm pretty sure they were right. 
So, so telling your story, it gives you perspective. You write it down, you get some distance on it, you think, am I being candid here? Am I being, too, you know, am, it's kind of, you know, therapy is storytelling. Storytelling is therapy. It's, you, 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 you get these stories down and you have to confront your truth. You have to have this weird combination of believing in your story and questioning it at the same time. Am I being honest? Is this really, am I being too glib, which I found out that I was. And my bad writing default mode is um, very stilted, sort of academic. I adhere to for not consider the plethora of influences. <laughs> and I realized, I realized that, that I kept on going into that whenever I wrote as, as an adult looking back. I was, so, I was trying to remove myself from my own story. So I switched to first person and tried to recapture what it felt like to be a little girl looking at these complicated, damaged, but also gifted people who were my parents and trying to recapture the, the, the mixture of awe and confusion that, that started evolving into um, sometimes anger and sometimes bewilderment and ultimately wanting to get away from them. So it was kind of reliving it. And, and I could do that only in first-person not not well, it wasn't first person, but in in, in t- talking about it from a child's point of view, writing as an adult looking back, the adult judgment kept on leaping in. This is oh, so fascinating. I love that writing is therapy. And Jeanette, as I'm listening to you, it's it's incredible to hear how not only your career has evolved, but how your self awareness has. Because I hear oh. a theme throughout your life is being ready for people to throw stones at you, whether they're literal metaphorical, what have you. My, my question is, uh, if we jump into the present moment right now, what do you feel like mm-hmm. in your life right now are the stones you're, you're trying to protect yourself from that might not be as, as harsh as you anticipate? You know, Ben, um, gosh, you, you both are so breathtakingly articulate. Um, gosh, um, I think, you know, you write any, any, I hate to call myself an artist, but anybody who's in an incre- creative endeavor throws their book out there. I remember <laughs> Gail King saying when, when Oprah came out with um, her movie Beloved, like, that was her baby, you know, and she spent so long on it. And she shows it to the world and people say, yo, baby, is ugly. Except <laughs> <laughs> me, because I loved it. I love Toni Morrison and I love that movie Beloved so much. So they beautiful... can just die, whoever thinks that. <laughs> it was a beautiful movie. It's and all amazing. these people out there like, yeah, it was stupid and did you're like, oh my gosh, and you can't help, you can't help but be affected by it. Like, well, what do you mean you didn't like, you know, of course you're going to, and you can't please everybody. And, you know, I know a couple of very, very well-known actors, and they just, they don't read the reviews for that reason, because to be a good actor, you have to make yourself super vulnerable. Um, so, of course, you're going to be um, affected and vulnerable to people's judgment, but... One of the things people say, oh, everybody hates to be wrong. I actually love to be proved wrong mm-hmm. on a sort of on a less personal basis. Well, it is a very personal basis because I'm, um, I, I continue to do these talks a lot, and very often the readers will question me on something I've said. And, um, you know, I thought I was finished writing um, because I, I, am, I thought I don't make things up. I am not a fiction writer. I just, I am a truth teller and a fact finder, and I have no imagination. And it's practically a mantra for me. I have no imagination. I have no creativity. And I was at this event one time, and this man, in the front row, he kind of gently raises his hand and said, ma'am, excuse me, but I think that you have a fabulous imagination. You're just afraid of your own creativity. 
earlier Angie had this quote that mm-hmm. I love mm-hmm. that uh, mm. anger is a great catalyst, but a horrible life companion. Mm-hmm. I would say the same could probably be true about fear, that it can be a great catalyst for things, but it's a horrible uh, companion along the road. So this man says to you, I think you are just afraid of your own creativity. Yeah, Where do you go next yeah. in your head? Well, I just, I mean, the world kind of started spinning. I think fear and anger are the same thing. I think they're the same thing. Uh, the, the, you know, the anger is the reaction to fear. Fear is at the, at the core of almost all negative reactions. But hmm. so this man, I wasn't in the least bit angry because it was this sudden realization. Oh, my God. <laughs> this, this dude's on to something. <laughs> and um, I thought about it a whole lot. We have to be open to criticism. We have to be open to somebody saying something about us. That's how we change. That's how we grow. That's how we learn, is realizing we were wrong about something. Here I was going around touting myself as a truth teller um, and being afraid of this thing that is looming that many people see as an incredible gift. My father was one of the great storytellers. He was, he was a, a, an astonishing actor. Um, he had these characters in his head at all times, and they would make appearances on a regular basis. There were, there were, there were regulars. There was the leprechaun. There was the, the ghost of a parachuter, and they would come out of his head and tell stories. And um, my mother also loved stories, but she had, a, she had a relationship of convenience with the truth. So I associated <laughs> we got uh, that. Yeah, taking that tagline. <laughs> I, know a few, I know a few of those. Yeah, keep going. <laughs> so I associated storytelling and creativity with lying and insanity, both of which run in my family. And I think I, I was just like, oh, don't go there, don't go there, only true. And um, my editor had sort of been on my case to write another book. And, you know, I wrote The Glass Castle, which is a memoir. But, you know, and it was, it was true. It was all true. But that being said, any memoirist, any biographer, any journalist, anybody who's tried to tell a story has to pick and choose their truths, which they will tell and how they will choose to tell them. Um, my, um, my older sister could have written The Glass Castle, same exact facts, entirely different story. So we shape our truths by which stories we tell and how we choose to tell them. Um, and my favorite example of that is my favorite life, my favorite um, uh, incident in my entire childhood is when I got a star, when we had no money for Christmas presents, and my father gave each of us children a star, and I chose a, a planet, Venus, and I love that story so much that I told it at my father's funeral. After I finished telling the story, my oldest sister, Lord, goes, isn't that like that SOB dad of ours to go give away something that doesn't belong to him in the first place? <laughs> and I thought about that. <laughs> I thought about that a whole lot while I was writing The Glass Castle, because Lori's right. Giving us stars was a meaningless, it was a dad's el slicko way of not having to buy us presents. But I'm right, too. It was the priceless treasure. So that is one of the challenge that any of your listeners, anybody who's sitting down to write their story will find, is that, you know, you, you talk to a sibling and they're like, what are you talking about? That was horrible. That was wonderful. And, you know, well, you know, we all had a great time. Well, I was in the kitchen cooking, you know. So, you know, it, it, people have 
different perceptions of the truth. So the truth is kind of sticky. And at the same time, he did give us, you know, stars. He didn't give us Corvettes. I mean, you know, there, there is a difference between perception and lying, you know, and I just, I stayed away from, from fiction for that reason. It was just like, that. I don't do that. I don't do that. I don't, I don't make things up. And um, my editor being on my case for a while to, to write a book, um, and I'm not, there's a lot of serial memoirs out there who keep on coming up with the books about themselves, and I'm just, I'm not that interesting. I don't, I, you know, the glass castle's about mom and dad. I don't really have that much to say about myself. And, <laughs> and then I wrote, you know, uh, Half Broke Horses was really about my, my mother's mother, and um, I called it fiction because it was, it was as close to the truth as I could get it, but it was mostly from my mom, and I have no idea how true it was, and I had to fill in little gaps. And then The Silver Star, which was just cobbled together things from people I knew. And um, uh, my latest book is the first time that I just kind of like, I'm going to make something up. Um, <laughs> I, I'm going to lie. <laughs> I, I love your lies. And uh, just one of the things that stood out to me, Jeanette, again, here's you, your work influencing me again. I chose a very non-traditional career path out of college. I went into the Marine Corps, so very few women make oh. that choice. And yeah. I'm reading Sally Kincaid and Hang the Moon, and I love her. I love her gumption. I love her guts. I love her, I guess, non-convention to her times. Can you share a little bit about your inspiration? Um, who Sally Kincaid? Angie, I, I love it that you love her. I love it that you love her. I love it that you love Excuse my language. I love it that you love a tough ass girl. I just I love writing stories about rough about about tough women during t rough times. It's yeah. just I, stories about survivors, about people who don't you know take no for an answer. Who just sort of like I'm gonna I don't care what people say or think of me. I'm gonna do it anyway. I'm just I'm going to um, be who I need to be. And um, a number of people have said you, you write about strong women. I guess you write what you know, and, and I, that's not patting myself on the back. Cause like I said, we survivors, we don't necessarily think of that as, as a good quality, but it just Sally is tough. She's, um, she's somebody who is pigeonholed. She, just, she wants to be like her dad. She so admires her father, and she doesn't really have a lot of women role models. Um, but she grew up in a time in, in um, the, the, it's a coming of age book and it's said in 1919-1920 prohibition and um, it was a time when America was trying to figure out what to do with its women you know when women were trying to find a role in society so, so Sally's trying to figure out who she is against the backdrop of a country that's trying to figure out who it is but um, you know she, she was born into a well to do family was kind of exiled for a little while and came back to this family. And I believe, and now I'm talking about a fake character, so she's a real human being, so I've really gone on into my dad's territory here. But um, <laughs> she um, she is tough. She's a good leader. She ends up being kind of in charge. And that is not in spite of her past, but because of it. Because she was exiled, I think she has a better idea of what how people in this county, this poor county, have suffered. And she gets into the bootlegging business. And she's 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 not fearless. She's this is a woman who's actually very very motivated by fear, but it's a fear that she's not good enough, that she's not a Kincaid, that she um, will somehow disappoint um, the legacy of her father. But she is fearless when it comes to going fast or guns or or all those things. And I, I base that largely on myself. People think like, you know, I mean, I remember when I was in Barnard, and back then it was an all woman school, but we had mixed. With some classes were mixed up when we had guys in our classes. And one of the professors called me aside, and she said, 
I noticed you're not afraid of the male students. I'm like, what? <laughs> what are you even talking about? <laughs> like, she goes, well, the men in the class, you're not afraid of them. I'm like, those guys, they don't even have knives. Why would I be afraid of them? And it's like, what are you even talking about? You know? They're not throwing that rocks. Is, that's your bar. <laughs> they don't have a knife. <laughs> <laughs> I just, like, the idea that I'm going to be afraid of something because he's a guy, it's like, what, what, are, you, what are you talking about? So, uh, that, uh, so I, even though... Um, Hang the Mood Moon is, is fictional. I think, you know, definitely I tapped into my own personality for it. And yeah. I also researched very heavily. Um, as, as I said, it's during Prohibition. And I wanted everything to be somewhat fact-based. I still could not let it go of my facts and my truth. And um, during Prohibition, the, um, the county that pr- produced the most moonshine of any spot in America, it was a place in Franklin County, Virginia. And... Um, <clears throat> There were these uh, caravans of moonshine going out. And the person who piloted those caravans, who headed them up to, you know, to make sure everybody was safe, and then if a cop came, fell to the back and kept the, co- the, the fed off their tails, the, the most fearless, fastest, best driver in the county was a woman. Her name was uh, Willie Carter Sharp. So I, I didn't want to put anything in this book that couldn't have happened. You know, if they're like, oh, that would have never happened back in 1920, a woman would have never been a, a moonshine driver. That's just not true. So these characters are based on that. And I, I do, I love history. I think that so often, you know, people think of history as, you know, people wearing frocks and living in estates or whatever. And it's just these amazing stories that if you can get, go back and mine these these dilemmas and issues that people were grappling with, that... In the, in the same way, reading somebody else's story gives you more of a perspective on yourself. Sometimes reading about different times gives you more perspective on your own time. Jeanette, you read your book on the audiobook, yeah, yeah. and I was yeah. so excited. I didn't know you were a voice actor. You were fantastic. I'm not a voice actor. I'm not at all. I'm not at all. <laughs> Sounded and was, like you I were. Was a, <laughs> no, I was. I will bless your heart for saying that because I was a little bit nervous about it because my father was an astonishing actor. My older sister, she read the entire Oz series. There's a lot of books in it, and I don't think she stumbled over a single word. So I was saying, I'm not going to be able to do this. I'm not that good at this. So I read the I read the prologue about five times, so I didn't do any spoonerisms before I get in there. And and I'm I'm recording it, and I got through it. Now I didn't mess up too badly, and. I was expecting an older producer who I'd been working with before, and instead this kind of young woman was the producer. I'm like, oh, great, I got the kid here. This is going to be a disaster. And so I did the I did the prologue, and she said, well, that was pretty good, but, like, I didn't hear in the fifth paragraph down, I didn't hear the intentionality I'm looking for. Given what happens later on in the book, I'm like, what, what I look like Meryl Streep here? <laughs> <laughs> you know, intentionality, what are you even talking about? And, she, and I said, I said, I'm not an actor. And she said, you read the voices, Jeanette. I'm going to treat you like an actor. And at first I was a little pissed. And then I thought, like, that was a real compliment. And it was such a lesson for me in terms of um, don't box yourself in. I don't think of myself this way. But she believed in, in in this reading. And she pushed me further and harder than I thought I could be pushed. And I had a blast. I had a really, really good time. And I've, I've recorded all my books, and I think this is the best one I've done because this woman just really said, you know, go for it, and just kept on saying, let's try this one again. This time, um, you know, show a little bit more, fill in the blank. And I just feel that because I, I, 
the other books that I was able to read, I was able to read them because I knew the characters, but I'd made up these people. So it was so weird. And I have to tell you, one of the places I, I hope that I learned something about writing fiction, it was from being on the, um, the set of the movie of The Glass Castle and watching these people, these astonishingly talented actors, become my family. Watch them... And before him, they, 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 of course, read the book, but they'd, they'd talk to me, and some of them talked to my family members. But they, they channeled and got inside the head of these complicated, kind of messed up people, and Woody Harrelson in particular. And, of course, you couldn't meet my father because he died in 94, and he was just asking such good and such smart, non-judgmental questions. It was just to try to understand who was this man, what motivated him. And he nailed it. He doesn't look that much like my dad. So when I first heard he was cast as my father, I thought, well, you know, everybody likes Woody. How could he possibly mess it up? It'll be a fine. And then when I first saw him in character, I started crying. Uh-huh. He nailed it so he was dead on. He had the posture. He had the, he had the body language. And um, now here's the thing just blew me away. They went off script. And he started saying things my father had never, uh, that my father had said that I'd never told him. That's how much he got inside the head wow. of my father. And I thought I could, I could really learn something from these people about, about human nature, about empathy. That's the key word, I think, in writing fiction. It's empathy. It's understanding what's inside other people's heads. Because I think most people aren't bad guys. I mean, yeah, there's a couple of them who are really, really messed up. But you look in, there's usually a reason. And to understand who is this person, what are their fears, what are their desires, you know, and I will never be on the level that these actors are, but I think I think when you're making up people or when you're trying to get inside the heads of people who exist, we could all learn so much from this stuff. I mean, when I was sitting on the, Reed Larson played me, and when I was hanging out with her before the, before the show, before the filming, rather, um... She's she's quiet. She's a she's a bizarrely talented woman, um, but she's she's kind of low key. She's got these laser eyes, and she's watching me everything. And and um, as the longer we sat there, the she started getting a little less quiet and started gesturing wildly and moving her head when she talked and had this weird cackly laugh. And I realized. Uh-oh, she's doing me. <laughs> <laughs> she's picking up on it. Oh, that's great. I didn't, you know, I, one of the things that always fascinates me about great actors is they're just insatiable curiosity. And, yes. and, and my curiosity is perked right now. Do you remember any of those insightful questions that uh, yes. Woody Harrelson asked you about your father? Absolutely. I will never forget it. If I live to be 100 years old, I will never forget it. And, and they were mostly basic. Um. What did he do with it? Did he look you in the eye when he talked to you? What did he do with his hands when he was talking to you? He was obsessed with the walk. He just felt if he could get the walk, the rest would follow. And we talked about Dad's walk a lot. And I, and the first the first conversation was on the phone. And I was clomping around in my high heels trying to describe Dad's walk. And he could hear me clomp. And he said, I wish I could see you. I'm like, no, 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 I look like RuPaul right now because I can't do Dad's walk, you know. And I talked to another actor and said, oh, oh. Men, men walk a little bow leg, and she started walking like a man. I'm like, God, these actors are so smart. But I said, you know, that I think Dad slightly modeled himself on Chuck Yeager. And wow. um, 
if you watch uh, the right stuff, Sam Shepard really nailed it. Oh, yes. And he Shepherd. loved that. Because I think these actors, they, they don't like to make something up out of whole cloth. They like to look at something and, and get that. And I think a lot of pilots model themselves on Chuck Yeager. But, but he loved that. <laughs> oh, that's <laughs> fantastic. Well, oh, Jeanette, we they have... were just really basic oh, yeah, yeah. questions. They were just basic about human nature. And just like, you know, they observe. They just observe like, well, you know the body language and the hand, the, the tilt of the head. It, it was fascinating. We're going to ask you our favorite questions and I'm going to kick off and this might be a tough one for you because I imagine you are an avid reader, not just being an author and a writer yourself, but I would love to hear a book that inspired you in your life. It could be at any point in your life, just a book that inspired you. Uh, Two Girls in Brooklyn. Oh, Two yeah? Girls in Brooklyn. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was like, I, I, I think about eight years old. And a, a, a librarian handed it to me, and um, I did not have a whole lot of friends at that time in my life, but little Francie Nolan, with her drunken daddy and her love of reading, <laughs> you know, it's like, oh my gosh, I've met a kindred spirit. It was written as fiction, but from all accounts, it's, it's pretty much a memoir. I also love The Grapes of Wrath at around the same age. Oh. I just, I thought the Judd family, you know, I just, I mean... I just, here's a family that would not look down their nose at the Walls family. So, um, I, I just, um, I, those stories about the, about hardships, about people surviving these tough times, they were a lifeline to me because it, it, it was even less a matter of surviving. These would be stuff like food and, you know, shelter and more just surviving and feeling good about yourself and, and, and finding a place in the world. Oh, wonderful, wonderful. All right, Jeanette, next question. From time to time, all of our listeners, and you know, frankly, Angie and I as well, uh, we just get in a funk. We're just in one of those emotional funks where it's hard to get off the couch. Uh, if that ever happens to you, how do you get yourself out of it? Oh, gosh. Um, gosh, I'm going to really <laughs> be an annoying person. And um, I, I think I'm like kind of the most optimistic person I know. Um, I, I get that. I, I get that talking to you. I really. So I'm going to pivot. I I'm, get down a whole lot. I'm going to pivot I, really know. quickly and change the question from how do you get out of funk yeah. to what's a philosophy you try to live by every day? Well, I just think that uh, it's it's a choice. It really is a choice. What you can. We are all storytellers. I mean, we are all memoirs every single day. Every day that somebody asks you, how was your day? You know, what happened to you today? You tell a story. You, and, and, and so we, what, it is that, what is it you choose to focus on? There's, you're always surrounded by blessings and curses. You're always surrounded by wonderful things. What do you choose to focus on? There's, there's a line in... Um, <clears throat> Hang the moon. I'm going to quote myself. Oh, great. <laughs> we love it. Just a little. <laughs> um, it, it's, it, it, Sally is sitting, Sally Kincaid, the main character, is thinking about the stars because, you know, the stars are out all the time, but you can't see them in the daytime. Um, and it just says something I think about kind of a lot, like they're always there, but you can't see them. And, um, you need the darkness of night to see stars by their own light. And I just think that... The darkness also serves a purpose. The darkness also serves the purpose to, like, the good poets and the good, you know, 
many of the great philosophers, they go through periods of darkness. So you don't necessarily fight that darkness. Think about what it's about. Why are you feeling that way? Don't run from it. Don't like, oh, I shouldn't feel this way. But just like, what's going on? What am I, you know, what's, what's happening? And try to understand it and try to own it. Don't, don't say, you know, oh, I, I hate myself for being in a bad mood. Because that, that's not going <laughs> to be a better mood. It's not going to help, you know, yeah. Just, like, own it more. Just own it. I'm in a bad mood because I think people don't like me. Do they really not like me? If not, Just go there. Confront it. You know, I'm in a bad mood because I'm always a failure. Is that really true? Is that, you know, you're thinking that, but is it really just, and if it's true, then like, what are you going to do about it? It's just go, don't, don't, don't beat yourself up for feeling bad because that's counterproductive. It's not going to, that's not going to work. I love that. I love the idea too of just really interrogating the truth about your emotions. There's that word again. Thank you. You you two are more articulate than I am, okay? (laughs) I would hardly say that. I would love though to hear some advice. So next question. Can you give yourself, your younger self, some advice? If you were to talk to Jeanette when she was 8, 10, 12 years old, what would you tell her? Uh, It gets better from here. It gets better. Just have faith in yourself. Just just keep going. That's all. You know, and I will also say I didn't really need the, the pep talk. I, for all I didn't have, I, I loved my thought. I never felt unloved. And I think in that regard, I'm so much luckier than so many people. There was, um, I was at an event one time and there was this book club that was there. And um, a, a gentleman was in the book club and he was, saying, he was a therapist. And he said he was the only person in his book club who liked my mom and dad. Everybody else hated mom and dad. And he said, Jeanette's parents at no point humiliated her. He said, they humiliated her by being who they were, but they never directly put her down or told her that you know, she was, wasn't worthy or that she was a disappointment. He said, that is extraordinary. So I don't, I, I, I was, I've always been a little bit of a mountain goat, a little bit of a just, just get it done. So I, I, I don't think that I needed the help and, when I did, it was there. It was there in books. It was there in my father. It was there in my crazy mother as well. She's a great optimist. Like, you know, I'd go to her and, you know, say, you know, she'd say things always work out in the end. And I said, Mom, what if they don't? She said, that just means it's not the end yet. You know, I mean, <laughs> you know, uh, how, uh, advice doesn't get much better than that. So I, I feel so many people feel sorry for me because of my raggedy little childhood or whatever. And one of I think there are worse things in the world than not having flush toilets. I love having my flush toilets. Believe me, <laughs> <laughs> life is good. Oh, but, that, that was that was so good, Jeanette. You know, if you know things will work out in the end, and if they haven't worked out, that means it's not the end yet. Uh, here's another question. This is a question I've asked some guests in the past, but I don't always ask it. But I want to right now. Uh, a little exercise in imagination. I want you to imagine that inside your arm there is a tattoo. Uh, written in your father's <laughs> handwriting, what does it say? Um, <laughs> um, I'm proud of you, Mountain Goat. <laughs> oh. oh God! 
Oh, I can't handle this. Oh, I think we're going to have a good cry. <laughs> yeah, I Thank know. Thank you that so much, Jeanette, just for your time, you. your attention. You. And we are so excited. We live in Traverse City. We know you're coming up here for the Writer Series. Ben and I are going to be yeah. as close to the front row as we possibly can. Can't wait to see yes. more of you and learn more from you. And if you are in the... I tra- hope. Oh, yeah, go. I was going to say, if you're in the Traverse City area, uh, Jeanette will be here May 3rd at 7 p.m. at the City Opera House. Please, friends... Do not miss. This is going to be a fantastic it. conversation. Jeanette. Well, uh, <laughs> fantastic. What, what else is there to say, Jeanette? Well, you two better come up, and I think we need to do a big three-way hug. Okay? Oh, we will. We will. <laughs> yes. <laughs> you can thank count you so on much. that. Yeah, you can bet on us for that. Well, thank you, Jeanette. Have a great rest of your day. Thank you, too. Was that not just an awesome conversation, Ben? Uh, She's amazing. The notepad is full. Like, there's too much to, to just process instantly. Uh, it was great. It was great. So if who, if your life movie was being cast, who would be your dad? <laughs> <laughs> he was so funny. Growing up, my dad had sideburns. You know, like those lamb chop looking things. And we all thought he kind of looked like John Belushi in a kind way. And then we also thought he looked a little bit like Elvis, too. So if John Belushi and Elvis could do some sort of mashup, of course, they're both dead now. So we I mean, that'd be, that'd, that'd be, be tough. tough. We definitely tough. have to get in touch with but their agent. But that would be like the physical appearance. But what was really funny is that she's talking about what he also did look like my dad, but just behavior. How about you? Who would you be I was sitting here thinking a lot of me thinks possibly Nick Offerman because just the mustache. <laughs> The uh, <laughs> they share, and plus, my dad is kind of down to earth, can be really, really exceptionally funny, but also has a heart of gold and can be very vulnerable when he's uh connecting with someone. So, I think, yeah, I'd go with Nick Offerman, especially after seeing that uh, that episode he was in on The Last of Us. Did you see that? I have not, oh, I've good. heard it was good. I have been told what I know going into this conversation, you had told me, you're like, I really hope she talks about shame and vulnerability. And guess what, Ben? She talked oh, about shame and vulnerability. She unloaded. Oh, it's fear. What really got me thinking is her comment about how she thinks fear is at the heart of all anger. And I just, I, it was one of those things where I spaced out in the conversation because I was just like, oh my gosh, is that true? I think that's true. It's really good. The, uh, but I don't know. What do you think? You think fear is at the, could fear be at the core of all anger? I'm going to have to think about that. Okay. I'm going to drive tonight. I'm going to put that in the back of my mind. I love, though, how she talked about her, you know, damaged but gifted. It reminded me of that Japanese art form of kintsugi. Have oh, you heard of it? Like when, yes. you know, those beautiful pieces of pottery that get chipped or broken but are repaired with gold filament mm-hmm. and that the original isn't as beautiful as the product that's produced as a result of the damage. And I just kept on thinking about that as she was talking. It got that image in my mind that the broken pieces repaired are far more beautiful than the original. Yeah. And you hear like the story about, you know, so those pieces of feedback she received that, you know, kind of put her off guard, but actually ended up being really great. You know, the gentleman saying, you know, I think you're afraid of your creativity, which led to obviously a fantastic book of fiction here. But then also listening to the, you know, her <laughs> describe Sally and be like, oh, well, there's a little bit of similarity there. I'd be very curious as to what her, her therapist thought of Sally's in Kate. <laughs> Where does this go? We'll, we'll ask her that the next time she's on. Well, I know that you're an aspiring writer and I've never written fiction. Do you think the book in your world is fiction or nonfiction, the book that you want to write? Uh, I think it's nonfiction, but a lot of storytelling in it. Because, you know, you and I are very focused on like the practical 
advice that can just make people's lives easier, whether that's in a professional or a personal setting. And so for me, street performing and all the stories I have there, they're fun to tell because a lot of them are kind of wacky and wild, but it's the lessons that I really want to make sure people get. So my, my writing right now is more focused on lessons and using stories to make the point as opposed to just telling a great story and having the lessons kind of bubble out from it. That's a gift. I think going from nonfiction, which is where her work started, to writing fiction is a true gift to dance in both genres. Because I write in nonfiction, and I have tried fiction. You have. I have. I want to read your fiction. No, I do not want you to read my <laughs> oh, okay. fiction. I, you know, I just, it's one of those things that she got me thinking. Like, in my mind, I'm like, I'm not good at fiction. Maybe you're afraid. Maybe I'm afraid of, of my cre- own creativity. And I, I think, again, those thoughts that you tell yourself. And I thought that was a really great point. Uh, that she kept on talking about, like, you know, the lies we tell ourselves when we could really spend time interrogating the truth a bit more to really get to that. Oh, it's great. And not just the truth around us, but the truth of ourselves and figure, figuring out what it is that we are that makes us feel vulnerable. What are, you know, maybe when we're angry, asking ourselves, is there something I'm afraid of here? And how can that link to being just more present in the moments and uh, just more effective overall? I thought that was a really great point that she brought up, too, about just the curiosity. I mean, can you imagine what world we'd live in if people are more curious about their own reactions to situations versus, you know, I'm angry, I'm mad. Why am I angry? Why am I mad? Maybe I'm just hungry. Maybe uh, there really isn't a problem. Right, yeah, it's just blood <laughs> maybe, sugar. It's just blood sugar. <laughs> maybe it's a great day. Not today here in northern Michigan. It's a beautiful, sunny day, but maybe it's the weather. Maybe it's... Just they say curiosity is the lens and lever of motivation and influence, and I couldn't agree more. I think curiosity is a superpower when people actually learn how to tap into that state of mind. I think it requires, though, don't you, the presence to have the ability to say, like, to get in touch with your emotions, like that concept of labeling. If you can label your emotions sometimes, then you can have the opportunity to dissect to what the root cause of them is. Yeah, I guess it's just kind of being being able to get into that state of self-awareness. And then once you're there, being curious. So, But it's a practice like anything else, like working out. So It is a practice. Well, bet on you, radio listeners. We hope you enjoyed the Jeanette Walls conversation as much as we did. Stay tuned for future episodes. And again, like our podcast, share our podcast, write a review of our podcast. We just really look forward to staying engaged. Thank you so much, friends. Thank you.